Sour Hour is meant for the serious brewer. The Sour Hour may contain some seriously funkified content. The Sour Hour is not for the faint of heart. So exercise some damn discretion, would you please? Sheesh. And now, here's the Sour Hour with Jay Goodwin. Yeah, it's that time. It's the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. My name is Jay Goodwin. We're here in studio ADD it has in been downtown named. Concord. Yep. Yeah. What's the story behind that, Scott? Uh, well, you know, the first studio, the garage, uh, I mean, Studio A, right? And right. then there was Studio D mm-hmm. with the bedroom, and then it was Studio Double D in Martinez. Self-explanatory. And, uh, right. And it took a long time to uh, figure out what the hell to name this. And uh, finally, a listener, I think, tweeted or something, ADD, and we went, ah, that's it. Sorry, what were you saying? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Awesome. You got well, it. It's great to be here in Concord. We are uh, in the calm before the storm in the Bay Area. And this this sort of pre-complaining is probably uh, not music to everyone's ears across the country. It's like, oh, the the Bay Area gets one storm Every 10 years, it's like, all right, yeah, that's enough, guys. But there should be a, a pretty big storm coming in, so we're seeing if we can, uh, you know, get the show in, get a few beers in us, and then uh, hopefully get in some shelter. You know it's bad when you look at your weather app and uh, the little graphic, it's the rain cloud with the little thunderbolt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't see that too often here yeah. in uh, sunny California. No, definitely not. But we're happy to be here tonight. Um, here with Scott, obviously, and Bevo behind the glass. I guess uh, she was telling us... Before the show that the chat is down, and she looks like she's on the phone working hard to maybe do some things about that. But I think that I think it's her computer that's messed up, and she can't access the chat. So for those of you uh, in the chat room, if you wish to uh, ask questions that we can see at this moment, you're going to have to call in. I think one someone just did at 888-401-BEER. Great. Yeah, we're definitely encouraging phone calls tonight. Um, if you want to watch us, it's thebrewingnetwork.com slash TV. Is that right? Yes. And then I really encourage you guys to uh, go on to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, and leave some feedback. You know, we want to know uh, what you guys think of the show so far. You know, we're still in the uh, infantile stage, so, you know, get at us now while we can still make changes and we don't get into any bad habits. But uh, it's a special show tonight, uh, not just because of the storm, but because we have our first official main in-studio guest, and that's Tim Clifford the co-owner and head brewer of Sante Adarius Rustigales. How's it going, Tim? It's going well, Jay. Thanks for having me out. Oh, I'm so excited you're yeah. here, Tim. God damn. Thank it's you, been meaning to get you in here for a long time. Any, anyone who's listening knows, uh, who's, who's heard of Sante, uh, knows how great your beers are. And, you know, I can honestly say this. I'm not much of a brown noser, but I think you guys might. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it was funny. I wasn't. Never mind. Okay. You're lovely. <laughs> Tell me I'm more, not Jay. much of a brown noser, <laughs> Tell me but, more. Uh, you know, Tim might be the head brewer at my favorite brewery. I love their beers that much. They're Everything is oh. awesome. Uh, you know, I've, I've read somewhere where you guys do, um, you know, sort of like simple recipes, but that doesn't mean it's a simple. I think a lot of in a lot of people's minds may conjure like boring or something like that. Your beers are very exciting. They have great balance and complexity. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to be talking to you about all your beers, but in particular, your sour beers tonight. Well, thank you very much, Jay, and the compliments. Um, you know, that's very nice. Thank you. Awesome. Well, we'll get into those in a little bit. Um, 
first little housekeeping business. Um, yeah, I saw that there is no session this week, Scott. What what's what's up with that? I don't know. We're we're just kind of lazy here at the BN. We work when we feel like it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, no, think for yourself. <laughs> BN has got a full time gig these days. Uh, we had the uh, Doe's Christmas party, the uh, awesome. local uh, homebrew club, one of the big ones, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I know a lot of the guys wanted to go to that one. So, but you know, three sessions a month, as per usual. We did uh, the first session of the month was with uh, Bike Dog Brewing Company, right on Sacramento, and, right? Yes, sir. And uh, they were on on the first. And then we've got the world's youngest Cicerone coming in this Monday, Angela Steele. She's from Michigan. She's coming all the way out uh, here to uh, join us in the studio. She's twenty one. She's a, a certified Cicerone. And then uh, on the 22nd... Wait, doesn't that test take like 12 months of studying, though? Indeed it does, yeah. There's got to be some illegal stuff going on. Well, we'll find out what the story <laughs> is without naming names of uh, establishments, I'm sure. Gotcha. Uh, and then on the 22nd, uh, we got the Christmas show, and we got Logston Farmhouse Sales coming in studio. Really? Yes, sir. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Their beers are awesome. Quick recap of a uh, show. What show is this? Five? Yes. So the last one was four. Yes. And Makes the one sense. before that? Uh... You know, I didn't take math at UCSB, guy. You know it. what this is. About, I thought you so. were a sciencey guy. Yeah, okay. uh, you know, psychology, soft science. Ah, uh, yeah, that's enough out of Beaver for the entire <laughs> hour. Turn her mic off. Hour, hour and a half. That's like you know more than I'm willing to hear from back there. But anyway, uh, on the last show we had uh, actually our our uh, initial segment we had uh, Chris Johnson from Greenbench who was in town. Love that guy and joined us in the brewery. I'm oh, sorry, the brewery, uh, the studio. And uh, afterwards, uh, hung out, had some beers, too. But I, I really encourage you guys to go back and uh, check out that show. Hear Chris's thoughts on uh, his kettle souring technique because his beers were great. And, I, you know, I mentioned this on the last show, but a lot of people try kettle souring. It's a great way to separate a sour beer program from the rest of your regular fermentation. If you don't want to cross-contaminate the rest of your brewery, you can grow lacto in your kettle kill it off and make some sour beers out of it. But I think too high of a percentage of those beers just kind of get funky and weird. I don't know. T- Tim, what's been your experience tasting uh, when people, some someone brings you a beer and they say, hey, this is kettle soured. Like what's what's been your experience with that? Generally, I don't like them, but the, there's always exceptions. And um, I think the technique itself could be done well. Um, and I've had those examples, but not not a lot. Right. And I, you know, I, I don't know much about it. I've, I've never really done it before. And I was listening to Chris talk about his uh, technique and was really impressed with his technique and uh, the detail and also the quality of the beer. So if you guys are interested in that, I definitely recommend going back and uh, checking in on the last show. Um, uh, our main guest on the last show was uh, Troy Casey of Casey Brewing and Blending. He sent us some awesome beers. Yeah. Yeah, some yeah of, no kidding. Some of the best beers I've had in a while. Um, really cool stuff. Um, he's got his Saison, which is kind of like in the tart Saison style. He's got his Fruit Stand series, um, which he sources all local Colorado ingredients. Um, so really cool stuff there. Um, and he's kind of got this uh, old world approach to everything. So if you're interested in that, um, you know, especially for homebrewers who don't have, uh, you know, all the same... Uh, resources as a professional brewery you know troy kind of as a professional brewer kind of goes that um old school way you know so i think home brewers can really pick up a lot from what he's doing in that episode so it's good stuff i definitely recommend you guys checking it out i wish we would have uh, saved some of the his beer uh, but you know you and uh, me and chris got after it after the show that night we polished it all off we certainly did yeah we we've got a few more bottles uh, at the rare barrel uh, over in berkeley but you know who knows how long those are going to last? We're going to have our uh, staff 
sort of like a bottle depletion party uh, one of these nights. So uh, that's you know we get luckily enough we got brought we get we get brought a lot of I don't know this proper grammar at all, but uh, people bring us. It was brought. <laughs> It was betrothed to us. Yeah, your walk-in's um, looking good, man. You got some. You got a nice yeah, bottle selection going. Lots up in there. of sour can I, beer. Can I get an invite, or is that staff only? Yeah, sure. Oh, sweet. Okay, absolutely. Tim, also, we really, did it. Scott, hell yeah! You didn't see what it looks like in there, Beef. Beefo, you can come. We have a fish bowl of tums. So <laughs> that does sound delightful. <laughs> hey, I claim that. That's not a bad beer name, actually. I kind of like trademark the rare barrel, 2014. <laughs> it does sound like a rare barrel name. Who's on one? Uh, I was going to say we're going to jump right into it. We have Patrick on the line from South Carolina. He has a question about brewing saisons for you guys. What's going on, Patrick? Hey, how you guys doing? Uh, thanks for having me on. Hey, hey, what's up? Hey, um, I was just wondering if you had any. Um, maybe general tips for um, improving Saison brewing, uh, specifically maybe uh, if you treat your water or, um, you know, yeast uh, we can get as a home brewer. Okay. Yeah, two totally different questions. As far as water treatment goes, um, you know, I can only speak to what I do, and we don't do any treatment to our water. And and it's a fact that in Capitola um, we have some of the worst brewing water on paper that you could have. Um, what I like about that, though, is that it's super minerally rich, very salty, if you will, and that tends to work very well, the Saison. Um, and from my perspective, we have a, a warehouse. It's a brewery. It's not a farmhouse brewery, but I'm trying to make beers like I think they might have been made in the past. And if you were a farmer, if the myth and the lore is all true, and you, ha- you were a farmer, you wouldn't have had access to special waters. You would have had to use whatever you have. So I'm doing the same thing stubbornly. So don't really have a lot to say there. Um, ours is hard, and it works well. Uh, yeast, you know, um, essentially we're doing a blend for our saisons um, of the DuPont and French saison strain. That's a good place to start. That's fascinating that it, uh, I mean, that's, it's unlike most of the brewers we hear on, on the BN that uh, are, are not treating their water, and, yeah, the water's not that great. I, I hear a lot of, well, we don't treat the water, but it's, it's fantastic for brewing, yeah, no. and we don't really need to. Um, no, so, I wouldn't let you drink my tap water. Wow. Yeah, it's remarkable. Hmm. So then there, are there other practices you're employing that are overcoming that then? That's interesting. That's a good question. And, and it's by it's accidental, but it all works. And so um, because we don't have hot water on demand, um, we're having to pre-boil this water um, the night before. And during that time, it drops a lot of those solids out. I mean, it's an impressive amount of particulate left over after this. So and then transferring that from our kettle to our uh, essentially a holding tank for the hot water, again, you know, there's some filtering going on there. And so, um, you know, I've had the water tested when we early on, uh, but I've never had it tested after we do the boiling. Wow. Awesome. We got, we actually have a Saison in front of us. It's uh, Sante Adaris's, uh Saison Bernice. I, I call it sort of more in the, the tart Saison category. Um, Tim, can you just describe a little bit about, you know, from, from beginning to end, like what, what's going on with this beer? What makes it so unique? So we have a base beer uh, called Anais, A-N-A-I-S, uh, named after a good friend of ours' daughter. Um, and that base beer does a lot of work for us, including making Bernice. Um, West Ashley is made by that. Uh, same, same base beer appreciation also. Um, anyway, Bernice is interesting in that it's um, done completely um, in stainless. Um, and we're... We're doing a primary fermentation in our conical and then transferring it over this wine tank that we have. And I add my bugs and wait it six weeks, five weeks, four weeks, depending on how it tastes, and 
package it. And what's the malt bill look like on that uh, that base saison that you guys sure. use for a lot of your beers? Yeah, um, actually, for somebody who always is touting the simplicity of my my beers that's actually one of the more complicated ones for saison um, but we're talking about roughly 75 percent pilsner uh 10 percent wheat uh five percent acidulated and then we actually use vienna and i would never tell anybody to do that so yeah <laughs> i don't know that sounds like pretty tasty oh and also oats flaked oats as well excuse nice. me nice yeah. very cool well it's making a great beer uh this is you know it's just a great balance where you get that acidity that that you want in a lot of sour beers, but it's not it's not overwhelming. And you get yeast character. It's just a beer that is, you know, there's not a lot of bells and whistles, but a lot of the drivers of flavor come from the yeast and bacteria. Yes. What's yep. what's the you know, you say you put your kind of bug mix in there. What sure. what what does that kind of look like? Uh, I'm not exactly sure, but uh, <laughs> you know, I've I've had it plated, and um, to my knowledge, there's at least five different Bretts and a couple different lactose strains, and then whatever's floating around inside the brewery, I think is it's become its own thing. Um, but you know, these are things that uh, I essentially have like a sourdough starter, if you will, and I've been keeping these things going for several years, and um, it works. Awesome. Yeah, and I'd be happy to talk about it as best I can, but. It's kind of a mystery, even to myself. I'm not exactly sure of what's in there. Yeah, for sure. We're, we're going to yeah. get into a lot of that. You know, how you started as a home brewer, how you developed your cultures over time, how they, how those cultures kind of turned into, you know, your professional breweries in Oculin, and how you, you know, started up Sante. But uh, we'll get uh, get into all that and all due t- in in uh, due time. One thing I wanted to touch on uh, off the top is just that. Uh, it's something we didn't really get to in our last show with Troy, and I know it's something he wanted to talk about was uh, the role oxygen plays in his brewery. You know, he's, he uh, says he's an old world brewer. Um, you know, Sante, you know, you guys uh, describe yourselves as a, a rustic brewery, and you know, you definitely get those those flavors and those beers. Um, you know, what what does rustic mean to you, Tim? When you when you you know hear that, that? question. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Uh, what does rustic mean to me? You know, um, ultimately it was a little bit of a play on words, um, a little bit self-deprecating. Um, rustic can both mean right from, you know, of the country and, Mm -hmm. you know, being, but it's also, you're from the country, you know, so uh, a little bit of, a little bit of, uh, self-deprecation and it was really for me, um, pointing back to my home brewing roots. You know, I really wanted to show that I understood the system that I had uh, that would be somewhat mocked if, a, you know, any other professional brewer to watch him walk in my brewery. And so I think I was just That's kind of awesome. maybe self-conscious about it. And so picked a weird name for our brewery. That's perfect. It yeah. stands out. The brewery is beautiful. And I encourage everyone, if they're in California, to come down and visit. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Tim's beers throughout the hour. Um, but I think it might be time for a break. What do you think, Scott? Yes, sir. All right. Let's do it. We'll be right back. This is the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. Starting a brewery is not for the faint of heart. Uh, it's definitely a labor of love. If you're not going to give it 100%, don't bother. Brewers Publications is proud to present the Brewers Association Guide to Starting Your Own Brewery by Elysian Brewing's Dick Cantwell. Business plans, financing, sustainability, and more. This book takes you through the planning and execution needed to turn the dream of craft brewing into a reality. 
Whether you want to open a brew pub or a packaging brewery, learn the professional side of ingredients, wastewater, quality, and how to build the craft brewery of the future. The Brewers Association Guide to Starting Your Own Brewery, available now from Brewers Publications and BrewersPublications.com. Heard better, uh, up the ante on the game and apply the pressure. Understand I was a fan before I was a member of your favorite rap band. Understand that I'm still a fan. And you can complain after the fact, related to the game that came after crack. Cause every nigga I know is out to get a plaque. Yeah. So why you wanna go and do that love, huh? I don't know, man, cause we seen fiends who dream cream. Ripping the quest through special effects and green screens. And it seems you be the be the one that flashed that cannon. Or sign an autograph of the last cat standing. Brother, pass that action in the track. Is real. Your only way you're coming up is probably inking the deal. Why you thinking the skills? Some are thinking the mills. And they're never in the quest to get that house on the hill. And that's real. You got to speak the truth for real. You might wanna say I'm a You got to understand. We're trying to tell you the deal from my perspective. The J5 collectible rack. Cause you got to keep it together and try. You might wanna say I'm a But you got to understand. With all the neat stuff, third eye, first fly, ripping from my I need some understanding in this world between me and my girl. She wants the diamonds and the pearls and be a part of my world. 24 said, but love don't pay the rent. So love me when I'm home and cherish the moment. Uh-huh, cause some of you women are men's mirrors. I know some women who dodge balls like Ben Stiller. Please understand it's not to offend or seem bitter. But every queen need a king with her. Yeah, Miss Thing, I don't know. Whenever I leave you ready to go. My mama told me about how it flow, but I didn't want to listen, but she told me so. Now if it ever came to the bank account, would you pack your things and get up and bounce? These the type of things that I'll be thinking about to all my other fellas. You got to understand. You got to speak the truth for real. You might want to say I'm a lot. You got to understand. We're trying to tell you the deal from my perspective. The J5 collectible rack, cause you got to keep it together and try. You might want to say I'm a In the next man, I'll quickly take your tight. Yeah, between me and myself and all of these things, understanding is a theme when we doing our thing. From the job to my queen and chasing my dream, the whole world needs a little bit of understanding. Yeah. yeah. Speak truth for real. You might wanna say I'm a little in the deal. We're trying to tell you the deal from my perspective. The J5 collectible oh, wreck, cause you got to keep it together and try. You might wanna say I'm a little, but you got to We're both the deep stuff. Third eye, birds fly, ripping from a bird's eye view.
Yeah. We are back. It's the Sour Hour on the Brewer Network. Thanks for hanging in, guys. Um, talking to Tim Clifford, co-owner. Yes, sir. He's been sitting here this whole time. I co-owner did not and head brewer of Sante Adarius Rustic Ales. Okay, we're still friends. <laughs> we're still friends. We're getting a little loose in here. Uh, Tim's beers are really great, so, uh, you know. We are indulging, but uh, I guess we have a caller on the line, Scott. Yeah, let's see. James? Yeah? Yeah, you're in Connecticut. That's right. What is up? I have a question about diacetyl. All right. All right. So You don't yeah, want it. Brewing... What's that? You don't want it. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> um, so, you know, I've been brewing sour since probably 2011. I've been brewing since 95, so you nice. know, certainly I, I have the basics down. Yeah, right. Um, both, both me and my brother make a fair amount of sours in a variety of ways. Some small barrel aging, um, you know, a fair amount of just pitching uh, Y yeast rose layer, in some cases using bottle drags, in some cases not. And both of us have a recurring but not consistent diacetyl problem. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it shows up in the secondary, sometimes it shows up in the bottle. It usually dissipates over time, um, but not always, and sometimes it dissipates slightly but doesn't go away at all. So how to avoid it and then how to get rid of it once it shows up. Yeah, we're brothers because I have the same problem in my own brewery, and um, what tends to work for me is um, I can't say exactly why you're getting it. I have some ideas of things that what we're doing, but there's no doubt that, um, you know, we need to age our bottles for at least six weeks before we put uh, them out because, yeah, raging diacetyl. Essentially, the bread will eat it up. Time, time almost always will, will work. That's my opinion. Absolutely. I think it's also sour beer fermentation can be so finicky that, you know, you take, you, I mean, you've been home brewing since 1995. You take for granted the fact that a Saccharomyces fermentation is so vigorous and you're controlling the temperature in the first 24, 48, 72 hours to keep the acetaldehyde, the diacetyl in check, and then raising the temperature after that to make the reuptake a little bit faster. Sour beer doesn't really work that way because not only is, is nothing happening over a 24, 48, 72-hour period, but you're probably also not controlling the temperature. You're probably barrel aging it or it's in a carboy and you're not paying as close attention to the temperature. So as long as the culture is strong and active, especially the yeast in there are strong and active in, comp in competition with the bacteria um, and you have, you know, you let it age. Time is your friend. Uh, slightly warmer temperature, that's your friend. Um, you know, it, it will age out. Brett is an amazing creature and it'll, 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 it won't clean up everything. You know, I don't, I don't like that, um, sort of misconception about Brett, like, Oh, just add Brett or just add more hops to fix a beer. That's, that's never going to be the case, but you know, Brett does keep working. And if you, if you stick with it and you're patient, um, you know, good things will happen. And you know, we, yeah, you said six, six weeks for your bottle condition. Minimum. Yeah. yeah minimum. We do. And more, maybe that's, maybe it's more for, a sour beer or you would run into more problems with a sour beer for us it's two months because you know if we're 
we're basically starting a whole new fermentation in the bottle. So yep. we're expecting off flavors. We're expecting if there's PDO in there to be a That's rebloom the of diacetyl or maybe it'll even, it'll even get ropey. And in that case, we're going to hold on to it for a lot longer. So we keep those bottles back for a long time. And it's, it's a lot different from the, the I've, I've seen ropey beers. I've never had, I've never made one yet. And I want to see one. I want one of those slimy fuckers. We we, we did a starter uh, at the Rare Barrel, and that's now uh, a full 30-barrel batch. And there's a ropey strain of PDO in it. In the propagation, it got ropey. And I was so excited. I was like, oh, look at this. It was like um, ectoplasm almost. I ran into the office. I was like, oh, you guys, you know, like everyone talks about ropey. Check this out. And it's just like the liquid never separates. It's just all connected. It's kind of like uh, that drip of snot coming out of your nose and it just never quite breaks kind of thing it like hits the floor and it's still connected to your nose yeah so uh, is this like is it like wanting to be in a car accident just so you can see what it feels like is that kind of the same thing because you don't want it right but you you're saying i want it just to experience it, it it's not yeah. a desirable right yeah something like that i wouldn't go as far as car accident oh, a, f- a fender bender you know just <laughs> yeah. to see what it feels like for sure yeah well maybe riding a roller coaster okay oh, okay <laughs> But yeah, <laughs> do, I have that, real. do I have that wrong? I mean, it, it, no, it's for sure. I mean, there's a there's a professional curiosity. Yeah, there's. I, I want to see it. Okay. I want to. I want it to be totally honest with you. I want to put it in my mouth and eat it. I want to taste it. I want to see what that is. It is. Know? It is viscous. Yeah, it's viscous. You know, it's, it's not something. It's a sensory thing. So those are always uh, hard to describe. And even when you do think you have a great descriptor for it. It's not a person-to-person thing like, oh, this person's totally going to get what I mean when I say, oh, it kind of tastes like a melted popsicle, but like right before it totally melts, something like that, you know. So there's always a little bit of confusion there. Did we answer your question, James? Yeah, definitely. Thanks a lot, bro. Good. Love the show. Hoping to get out to California this uh, winter and uh, check out the Red Barrel. Cool. Thank you for calling. Awesome. Thanks, James. I'm glad that you asked that question, Scott. Did we answer your question? Because we just got off on a whole different You know, yeah. <laughs> that's the last caller, and it's, it's just... Uh, you got, you got to check back in. You know, I want to make sure these guys are I was happy that I said yes because I was yeah. like, oh, I actually have really? no idea. Really? The answer to that question. <laughs> might have, yeah, you guys didn't even scratch the surface. Uh, we were we get, scratched it. We were getting deep in there. But um, one, one thing I wanted to do is just reset a little bit here and uh, get into, you know, just just who you are, Tim. You know, let's 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 dive deep. Let's let's look inward and find out a little bit more about you. Where did you get your start? Where did this whole beer experience start when did you realize beer was more than just you know something to get you drunk on a saturday night um yeah good that's a great question thank um, you uh so i did my first home brewing batches about 18 years ago and i really liked it um i was living in charleston south carolina at the time and i really loved it but then you know i stuck with it for about a month about a year i'm sorry and uh but it didn't really you know life happened and so Went to college, graduate school, and out of graduate school, I needed a job. And coincidentally, um, a warehouse job was available, and it was for Williams Brewing. Uh, it's a homebrew supply company online. Mm-hmm. You know, WilliamsBrewing.com. Yeah, I still like them. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> and while there, I was just immersed in it. I mean, one of the things I had to do was make kits, um, and I was brewing all the time. And so uh, that, writing for the Northwest Brewing News, it just got super immersed, and the obsession kicked in yeah. awesome and then how did that translate into your start at sante um i had really i mean i think like all home brewers um imagine or dream that they maybe will start a brewery one day and i think i thought that too but wasn't going to be real reality um unfortunately my mom died and she left me a little bit of money and i was working at a 
Seven Bridges. Uh, it's an organic collective in Santa Cruz. Please buy from them too. I'm part owner, uh, so you know, full disclosure. Uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, and so while there, I was just like, all right, let's go do this. Let's go see. So I had a little bit of money to burn. Awesome. Like literally a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and so from those humble beginnings, how did you, you know, scratch together your equipment? Like, to, you know, paint a little picture for people who have never been to Sante Adarius. Yeah. You know, I, I've been lucky to be there a few times. And, yeah. you know, you have the beers. The tasting room is beautiful. And you walk back and not to say it's not beautiful back there. It's Thank it's you. like, you know. It's rustic. It's that thing where it's like, you know, it's your baby. So you love it. Right. But it, it's very unique. So yeah, it ain't, it ain't pretty. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And I ain't, I'm not impressing any uh, other brewers uh, with fancy brewing systems. But I, that's the way I was as a homebrewer. I've never believed that you need to have fancy equipment to make good beer. Um, so even as a homebrewer, I never had temperature control. I just figured out different ways of doing things. Uh, so at the brewery, we have. Uh, I got this equipment from um, Alec at Uncommon Brewers in Santa Cruz, and he was expanding going to like a 60-barrel system or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had this little seven-barrel bullshit system for no money, and I was like, I'll take it. There and you go. That's it. And so we batch barge. I mean, it's straight-up homebrew. It's great. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, steam boiler. So yeah. It's all repurposed equipment. From- totally. Yeah, none of it, with the exception of the conicals, um, none of it is technically brewing equipment. Yeah. And if I were if I were looking for to build a brewery now, I wouldn't be looking for brewery specific uh listings i'd be looking for like pharmaceutical companies selling stainless or uh, dairy companies selling stainless i can do a lot with that stuff we all can so don't where, get don't get too attached to the pretty stuff that's my point <laughs> where did you find that stuff well I, I i was lucky in that somebody else um had done the, the legwork for that another brewer so i just got lucky in that this was available but had i done it myself i would have done something similar but I mean, it's it's very very hobbled together but you bought it as a complete system that's right the oh, hot okay. side gotcha. hot side was completely was completely intact and uh you know i should say while we're while we're talking with tim right now we're also opening a second beer from sante which is the and i don't hesitate to say this world famous west ashley this is one you know recognizes one of the best sour beers out there right now and we're lucky enough to have it, you know, Tim's Brewery is uh, an hour and a half south of San Francisco. That's about right. So if you guys are in town and, you know, hopefully they have this beer, you you got to get down there. I mean, even at the expense of a trip across the bay to the Rare Barrel, I'm saying, you got to get down there and have this you beer. You could do both in one day. And many people do, actually. They do. You know, they we do. see a lot of people who are like, oh, there's a bottle release at both in the same day. They're going to one first and then trekking over to the other. But that, And that's a lot of fun. Um but, you know, so many people love this beer, Tim, and we've gotten, uh, you know, a lot of response from you coming on. You know, tell us a little bit about this beer in particular, maybe maybe a little beginning to end on this. You know, there's a lot of homebrewers listening, a lot of pro brewers listening who have seen your success with this beer. Maybe walk us through how you make West Ashley. How we make it, right. So I, in the beginning of the segment, we talked about uh, Bernice, right? And we talked about the base beer for that, Anais. So mm-hmm. I'm using the same base beer. So... It's fundamentally, it's Bernice put into pinot barrels with apricot. And we use puree. We use the, uh, I always took Jamil's advice, and I, I like that Oregon puree stuff. It works great. So mm-hmm. it's super safe. 
uh, very effective. So are, that's those, what we're doing. Uh, are those Pinot barrels freshly emptied or you're reusing No, we're them? reusing them. Okay. Yeah, all my stuff's uh, neutral, um, and those are the same barrels we've started with. We've slowly added things. Um, I'm not really looking for any wood character. It's an interesting different conversation we could have about what barrel mm-hmm. it, what barrels impart because i get a lot of that i read reviews and it's like i don't really get the barrel it's like yeah you, you do you just don't know what you're getting from the barrel so, right there's a lot of complex flavors there yeah yeah but there's a lot of complex flavors in this beer it's it's really great it's got this vibrant uh apricot to it and it's got this very it's i'd say it's like a a, a medium to medium plus acidity and it just it just accents the apricot perfectly and uh total accident (laughs) when it when it when it came to be it was a total accident i was not working with fruit as a home brewer at all it was just like i we had one tank when we started Mm -hmm. and i needed to make beer and people wanted to buy it so i was like oh let's put some fruit in there see what happens it was a total accident. And how how has uh, you know de- you developing your own sour cultures as a home brewer changed from from then to what you're doing now? And maybe you could just describe that process a little bit. Uh, sure, um, it's changed very little in except for the fact that I have it. Uh, I have my what my culture is plated out um, at Giga Yeast, for example. So all you professional brewers go talk to them, and they'll they'll give it to you, and that's fine. So the way I started was um, uh, I'm not a scientist. I'm a historian. Um, but I believe in the scientific method, you know, and so basically what I started doing was gathering all commercial strains, working with them, uh, bottle dregs, and then as I found things that worked, if things didn't work, tossed it. If things worked, I kept working with it and then slowly started realizing, okay, I could blend this stuff. So, um, yeah, so... Yeah, my whatever is our house culture now is a is a is a conglomerate of several different commercial strains available mm-hmm. of Britannomyces and Lactobacillus, and then things that have ended up in there from bottles. And I don't make any. That's that's very true. I mean, one time Sean Hill was like, "You I, you're using my yeast," and I was like, "Fuck yeah, fuck yeah, I am. I've got some of that in there. You know, there's some of that in there. Yeah, yeah." Yeah. So. And, ha- and how do you treat it over time? How do you maintain that culture? Is there a drift? You know, how are you, yeah. ma- you know, maintaining versus accepting the drift and then blending? Yeah, um, I think I do it very rudimentary uh, in a very rudimentary way. We I have Erlenmeyer flasks. I use them the same way as I would with home uh, and at at home. And I have tin foil over the top. And I I weekly to every two weeks make new starter wort and. It's just, it's honestly just the same. And so, uh, and it's the same process. If it tastes good and it, then it, then it, then it, it continues to go on. And what we're finding is even though slowly I've been trying to add other, uh, cultures to this culture, if you will, I want to keep that blend going. But what I'm finding is that even when I try to isolate things now, the, that character is so strong in the brewery that all these things are just kind of becoming one. So it's it's interesting. So you're you're driving towards a house character, even if that's not, you know, exactly what you intended. Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, I definitely intention's an interesting thing. I mean, right. I'm I'm writing, I'm writing, and I'm enjoying the ride. Awesome. Yeah. So, well, there's there's two things now that that Tim has said that has uh, piqued my curiosity because I can't really ever recall hearing it. The first one is that the brewing water, how it sucks and he doesn't treat it. And now the second thing here is that he's not going for wood character. Overtly, not going for wood character, although I'm wood aging. So, Jay, when you make your map of the sun, your apricot sour, mm-hmm. are you going for wood character? 
Not on that beer. So really, um, is this a more common thing than I think it is? Then, well, I would say no. It, you know, I I see a lot of virtue in a neutral barrel, and the reason I see virtue in that is because we can get a clear read on what our experiment is going to be with our yeast and bacteria, um, which is the main focus of what we're doing right now. Not to not that it's always going to be that way. You know, in two years, we may be focused on creating the perfect sour beer to put into a tequila barrel. So I'm going to order 50 tequila barrels and just make, you know, a bunch of different sour beers for, for those barrels. But, you know, for right now, I really want that neutral barrel so we can, you know, reap the rewards of all this hard work of our experimentation. Um, and I like it because... Fermentation, I think, produces better flavor than any ingredient, any barrel, any recipe possibly could. And it's the most uh, romantic, mysterious part of brewing. You know, at the Rare Barrel, I hate to say we we sort of seek to demystify it a little bit, not to, to dampen down the romanticism of blending or these wild yeasts and bacterias, but just to under, learn, just learn a little bit more. It's like you know, reading Shakespeare and then talking about it in your English class also. You know, you can read it and then just let the interpretation sink in, or you can read it and try and analyze, all right, what was he really trying to say here kind of thing. So not to compare myself to Shakespeare, but... (laughs) You guys have similar beards. Similar beards? Uh, I could go a little pointier, I think. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, Terrence is on line one with a question about barrel care. Terrence. Hey, how's it going, guys? It's going good. Great. Hey. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I was excited. It's my first time being able to listen on the show. Rad. Awesome. Thanks for uh, tuning in. What's your question? Um, I was just uh, had a question about my, at my brewery. We're thinking about getting into doing a little bit of barrel aging, and uh, you guys talked about how you you reuse your barrels. So, kind of, what is the best way to take care of your barrels when you get them, and kind of in between uses? Great question. Uh, we do a lot of. Uh, barrel ordering and we go through a lot of barrels i think our current seller is probably like about 800 barrels deep um so we process a lot of barrels and i gotta say barrel care is the most under talked about um underrated part of making a sour beer or really any barrel aged beer because i mean it's going to have the most flavor impact of any step along the way it's like hey you're going to put a beer into this tank but yeah maybe you'll clean it maybe you won't so it's it, it's it's very important. Um, so just to go through that process a little bit, um, you know, you got to get a supplier you can trust. Um, so call around other breweries and, and find out, you know, have they gotten good high quality barrels from from the supplier? Sometimes you'll get a great price on a barrel, but it's it's unusable for beer. So you don't want to have to deal with that. Um, did you say where you're located, Terrence? Canada. Oh, okay. Oh, so you're you, local. Yeah. You'll be fine. You have a lot of access to uh, to great barrels in the uh, in the bay in California, um, so that that really shouldn't be a problem. Um, so once you find a good supplier, um, you order the barrels you want, um, and then kind of depends like what we were just talking about. If you want a neutral barrel, there's less of a rush to get it filled right away. If it's freshly emptied and you want that character, whether it's bourbon, um, whether it's wine, whatever it's going to be. You really want to treat that, start treating that barrel right away to get that uh, flavor in your beer. So, how you start to treat the barrel? Let's say you want whatever's inside to get into your beer. 
what I usually do is I'll, I'll soak the heads of the barrels. So that way you're not putting any liquid inside of the barrel. So you're the, most of the leaks you're going to get are on the heads of the barrel. So basically put hot water on one head, soak it overnight. If it's not completely dry the next morning when you come back, um, that's, that's a sealed side, flip it over, try it on the other side. And then, you know, same thing, come back the next day, see if there's still water there. If both are sealed, go ahead and fill it with beer. You might, you might get some leaks along the staves, but they're much less common and a lot easier to fix, to be honest. Um, now if you're not going to use the flavor of the barrel, what you're going to want to do is I, I prefer the method of you kind of have, so you have two options. You have a dry sulfur method and you have a wet sulfur method, um, Dry sulfur is you're burning a sulfur stick inside of that barrel. Um, it's not something you want to do in just safety warning here. You don't want to do it in any type of spirit barrel because it'll light on fire and explode. So definitely don't do that. Um, do you speak from experience? No, but okay. it's you know it's happened in the brewing industry. It's like a really a serious thing. So definitely don't do that. Um, if you're going from wine barrel. Um, you know, you can light the sulfur in there, but what I don't like about that is that, sure, you might be preventing mold growth or, you know, other microbiological growth that you that will be unfavorable for your beer, but that barrel's sitting dry the whole time. So even when you come, when you come bring it back into production, you're still going to have to rehydrate it. So what I like to do is do wet sulfur. So that's basically fill the barrel up with water until it seals. So I'm doing cold water. Well, I start with hot water if it's really loose, then switch to cold water. Don't leave hot water in there overnight because overnight it'll drop to an area, a temperature range where mold growth will run rampant. So just do hot water rinses and then cold water. Don't ever leave a barrel with hot, you know, any type of hot moisture in there. Rinse it cold, fill it with cold water, wait till it seals. Um, and then once it does seal, that's when I put in uh, a pound of potassium made by sulfite and then a half pound of citric acid. That's our storage solution. A full barrel of water and then that pound of potassium made by sulfite and the citric acid. And so that's going to prevent mold growth for the next six months before you have to replace the liquid. But it's also when you bring it back and you're ready to fill it with beer, you can flip it upside down, dump it out, rinse it out, and... It, you know everything will be sealed. This is not going to be a barrel that's going to be leaking. So anything to add to that, Tim? I just rambled for quite a bit. I learned a lot, honestly, Jay. Um, we, we're, I mean, I, I'm hearing a lot of different, uh, honestly, a lot of different winemaking techniques and the way in which they care for their barrels and which you've described. Um, we, we, we don't do that at all, but, but that's... What do you another, do? Nothing. <laughs> so uh, you get a brand new barrel in. You got a brand new. We got a lot of new uh, wood for your cellar. You got some fooders. Like fooders. How, how do you guys boiling? We we use boiling water. We'll run a. In the case of the fooders, we did uh, essentially a CIP through it, and we had mold in, initially in those, and we ran we ran uh, CIP with boiling water, and then we fill it. And that's it, and and we don't use any chemicals. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a steam gun, so because I have a steam boiler, we use steam um, prior to uh, filling. If sometimes we fill things that are just have bugs already, like the, we just you right. know, I'm I'm packaging West Ashley, and that day I'm adding West Ashley. What's the point? There's no point in changing the barrels. Mm-hmm. Just go with it. But as far as fixing it, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know how to do that. It's really cool. 
Yeah, I, I don't know how to do the sulfur thing. I don't like. I don't like. We have a, a little bit of a farty thing going on with our culture anyway, and so sulfur. I just want to stay away from it. Right. Yeah. You really got to rinse that sulfur solution out really well. Um, what, what, before you put beer in there. I mean, we go so far as I'm. I'm really sensitive to the um, potassium metabisulfite to the point where I have to have this like like huge hazmat style face gas mask on if I'm adding that to the barrels. Yeah, shit's nasty. And my my test for hey is all this out of there and it's ready to put beer in there is I will we're rinsing it with water before we put uh, beer in there and I take put my cup at the bottom and then take a sip. Yeah. You know because I'm not. You know, if I'm super sensitive to it, that's that's my test. I don't want anyone to be like, you know, perceiving any sulfur in any of our beers from the chemicals, basically. So, yeah. Hey, uh, Terrence, you been down to Santiago Darius yet? Oh, uh, you know, a few times. though, at that place. Yeah, I would hope so. A quick jaunt down the 17 from San Jose. Yeah, yeah. No, I love it. It's my, my favorite spot in the day. Well, listen, listen to Jay about up the upkeep of your barrels, Terrence. Don't listen to me. Thanks for calling, dude. Appreciate it. Awesome. Great question, Terrence. And, you know, like, like, like I said, you know, Barrel prep is one of the more uh, important things. It's kind of like one of the less sexy things about beer making, uh, about sour beer making. But um, it's just it's so critical. You know, you you can't you never put a beer into a tank that wasn't clean. It's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I it's not as if we like when I say we don't do anything. I mean, I've determined that that barrel is clean and that it's uh, sealed. But outside of that, you know, we, that's not how I do it. But I, steam again will kill everything. Right on. I think it's time for a break. Um, so we'll be right back with uh, Tim from Sante, and we'll open up another beer. How's that sound? Please. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Sounds great to Scott and I. Yes. And I know all the listeners are pretty jealous. So we'll be right back. It's the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. Since the first time the Brewing Network microphones turned on, more beer was behind it. More Beer sponsors the programming on the BN because, like you, they love brewing. And like the Brewing Network, they love sharing their knowledge. Morebeer.com isn't just a website to place your next equipment or ingredient order. Morebeer.com also gives you access to free beer information that will make you a better brewer. Go to morebeer.com and click into the Learning Center. You'll find podcasts, technical facts, video tutorials, and more, including access to The Buzz, More Beer's social network of more than 5,000 members. And some of them might even be crazier about beer than you are. Get over to morebeer.com today and take advantage of The Buzz, The Forum, The Learning Center, and make sure you're signed up to receive the newest More Beer catalog. More Beer, bringing you absolutely everything for beer making. I'm sorry. 
Wow, bang. Did you think that was the song or me? I couldn't quite tell. There you go. I've got a great voice. Everyone says so. So is Tone, <laughs> lo- is tone Loke super white or are you super uh, not? Uh, that's an excellent question. We need a whole other segment for that. I, ca- I can't decide. But. I most like to do the wild thing. Sorry. Oh, no problem. Keep going. <laughs> Tim, don't want to be talk. here. Keep going. Tim, don't Yeah, talk. bring it back. We're good. I just I know them. I'm a little bit older than you guys, so that I'm feeling kind of like I'm thinking about when I first heard this song. And, and where were you? High school. Yeah, it's kind of gross. Dance? No, MTV. Okay. Yeah. Maybe on the At couch home. with the ex-girlfriend. I don't know. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> not that I remember. Yeah, not that I remember exactly <laughs> where I heard it and what I was doing. Awesome. We're back on the Sour Hour. Uh, we're with uh, Tim Clifford, the co-owner and head brewer of Sante Adarius. I, I really want to talk to Tim more, but Scott insists that he needs to interrupt me right now for yeah. some reason. Oh, that's right. Well, because I, I really wanted to tell you guys, uh, even though you've both already started breweries, for those of you that haven't, and uh, it's a dream of yours, the Brewers Association's Guide to Starting Your Own Brewery uh, will help you plan and open a thriving quality-oriented oriented brewery. I know, Jay, you uh, said you used uh, a previous version of this book when uh, starting your brewery. And it's yeah, a, but this one's from Dick Cantwell, right? Yes, of Elysian, and it's a, an essential tool. It's gonna, uh, Dick's going to walk you through everything, financing and business plans and quality and distribution and just everything you need to know uh, to uh, to start your brewery good. Uh, he'll walk you through, uh, you know, planning and execution, and it's just a comprehensive guide. It's going to deliver you essential industry knowledge that uh, you just you don't want to start a, a brewery without it. So check it out, the Brewers Association's Guide to Starting Your Own Brewery. You know, it's weird. I saw Dick at Levi's Stadium on Thanksgiving night against the Seahawks. You seriously? Did I was you run in, into him? I would, no. Well, I was in line for beer. And, you know, it was a long line, and I had just gotten to the front, and then I saw him walk by, and I was like, oh, that's Dick Cantwell. It's like, he's maybe really? met me, like, once or twice. You know, he probably wouldn't recognize me in that unfamiliar atmosphere, but I was like, oh, I should go talk to him. Wait, no, I'm pretty drunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't even say hi? No, no. Well, I would have, you know, given up my space in line to go embarrass myself being drunk in front of a brewing legend who probably doesn't know who i am so but he makes amazing beers yeah incredible yeah really good stuff yeah why would he know who you are you're, you're only a gabf gold medal winner and you're only making headlines from uh, coast to coast why, why would he know who you are right? that's enough of that scott <laughs> no, he has no idea who i am all right but, fine. Uh, you know he, he does write a great book on starting a brewery uh highly recommend you guys should all check it out well let's see if uh hey daniel from new jersey hey how you doing hey sure, good guys. good do you want to start a brewery uh, no, <laughs> no. You just want to. You just want to keep homebrewing, huh? Good answer. Oh yeah, uh, I want to make it a hobby, not a, a job. Fair enough. What's your question? Um, so uh, for the guys, I'm. Uh, I got a 15 gallon barrel that I'm planning on making into a saison uh, Solera, and I had some questions about the. Well, any any suggestions on keeping a Solera going just inside the barrel? And um, my plan was to uh, take the saisons out, uh, you know, portion at a time, and add fruit to it. Any kind of suggestions you guys had to uh, on how to process the fruit, uh, juices, or whole fruit, or what? Well, uh, interesting. Um, we actually do. Uh, we have a fooder that we, um, in fact, we're having this beer right now, Cast Two Hundred, uh, and we run a Solera in it. So um, I can tell you what we do. I'm not going to tell you that this is the gospel, but I can tell you what I do. Definitely want to take it out in portions. Uh, that otherwise, it's not a Solera. Uh, the way that we do it is we. It's a 660 gallon fooder, uh, and we pull. Uh, roughly a third of it out at a time, package it, and then add beer that we've already fermented, let's say, in primary, 
to the uh, back to the fooder, and it's always a different. In our case, it's always a different beer. I'm not trying to maintain the same recipe of the saison. It's whatever I want. I want to see that change. It's it, I'm inviting change. That's the point of doing it. Um, so as a result, also we don't add any more yeast. So once you've pitched once, you got to roll with it. Uh, as far as adding fruit. That's, an in, that's a really interesting question, um, and I wouldn't say that I'd recommend putting it in that barrel. I think that I, what I would do is I would uh, take uh, the Solarid product, your Saison in this case, and take five gallons of it back to a carboy on top of your fruit. Uh, because otherwise, you're just going to run into a fruit punch mess in the barrel, uh, and it's going to defeat the purpose of keeping that thing going. So. Yeah, my plan was to add it uh, to, to add it to the portion that I I pulled out. Yeah, and kind yeah. of do like uh, like every quarter, do whatever seasonal fruits or um, products are available. It sounds I mean, it sounds yeah. rad. Where do you live? Uh, New Jersey. And, and, oh yeah. And you, you asked got, about you the send fruits. Us some bottles. That sounds pretty good. I I, I believe in pureeing fruits. Um, I I buy them pure. Uh, Already again I'm, um, from Oregon fruit already pureed. But if I were going and getting like local fruit. I would also have that blended down. I wouldn't use those whole those whole pieces. They tend to float and they become mold. I agree uh, with that. Magnets and not not everyone does share our same viewpoint. But I, what I really like about it is it breaks down the fruit, exposes everything, large contact area. It does you know sink to the bottom like you were saying. And instead, you know, you kind of never if you're putting in just whole fruit, maybe some slices or some quarters or something like that. You never know when it's fully in there. Like, yeah. is, is all the sugar being accessed? Is right. it done fermenting? Or, you know, is there more in there? So I, I would definitely recommend just, like, macerating it. You know, it doesn't have to be, like, a strictly, like, crazy, consistent puree. But just, you know, get at Breaking the sugars as much as you can. Get the stems and pits out, all that stuff. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, cool, Daniel. Thanks so much. Yep. Thanks for the call, man. Well, uh, you know, Tim, we are drinking Cast 200 right now. Um Anything you didn't get to mention about it in the response to that question? Um, not really. I mean, it's. I really like this beer. It's. I mean, you know, I teased myself earlier about the whole rustic term. I think the only beer that I make that really speaks to me about being kind of rustic and dirty is is Cast Two Hundred. So um, I think it's a really fun project. Um, I'm really excited about this next bottling that we'll be doing. In that, um, we actually pulled. I said earlier we pulled out a third of it. Each time, this last time, we pulled out two-thirds of it and added back fresh beer. And mm. what's going on is very different. And it's, it's how, very how has it been different so far? Nuances. Mm-hmm. You know, ultimately nuances. And I've been really surprised by that because, again, um, I'm making an effort to always put in. We're always putting in a different beer. It's not like you know, we make a lot of different base saisons. And whatever we have on hand is what's going on in there. Uh, and so I find that to be... Uh, interesting that that the it's what we were talking about earlier. The fermentation character is really what's driving the flavors. It's not that base beer really doesn't matter too much. Awesome. So, yeah. I think we're gonna get into some more questions, and uh, I think a listener actually uh, sent us some some of his homebrew sour beer. But Red. I I would be remiss if I didn't ask my favorite question to ask people who come on the show. Oh no, Tim. Yes. What's the biggest mistake? In sour beer making, in your opinion, the biggest mistake. I think the biggest mistake is to think that it's as simple as just putting beer inside of a barrel and adding bugs. I think that's the, the, the level of arrogance. There's a, there's an arrogance to that. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm not an arrogant man myself. I am a brewer. You know, oh, 
What are you trying to say? What? You want to go? Uh, not. We can go right now. We can. I mean, is that what's going to happen, Jay? Uh, it's up to you. Yeah, no. Oh, fuck. Yes. Um, it's good radio. No, I, I think, I think I, to me, I think lately that's about the thing that's, you know, to me that's kind of like, well, we're going to start a sour program. It's like, nah, that never works. So be dedicated and be experimental. That's, that's my answer. I'm really curious to see what your answer would be, Jay. Uh, my, I'm, to the, your same question. What's the biggest mistake? I, on the last show of the Sour Hour, I'll give my answer. After hearing, you know, a hundred terrific sour brewers give their answer, yeah. I will reveal my own. There you go. Episode 101. That's, that's a, that's a long answer. tease. Yeah, it is. That's what they call it in, in the profession. You keep, them, you keep them hanging on. <laughs> May I ask, Would my answer is obviously not technically driven. I have a feeling that your answer would be more technically driven. Like you would be like the biggest mistake that people are making it has to do with pro- my guess is process that's my guess if i'm looking forward to the 101st show well you know if i'm at my 101st show and i'm 87 years old i don't know if the math works out on that but i think it's like a decade right i mean if we're doing one a month for 12 yeah. months about you know, 10, something like that yeah, yeah wow that's yeah hey well, that's the, far away <laughs> the bn's been around for 10 years you know it's not it's inconceivable real. yeah for sure but uh yeah i think maybe it'd be more just if I'm if I'm about to retire at the age of 107, okay. you know, be more philosophical than technical. Okay, but to to add on to yours, I like that because uh, one, I, I love me some analogies when it comes to sour beer making. Yes, sir. And uh, one of my favorites is the crock pot analogy to sour beer. So, oh, I'm gonna take my flagship beer and then put it into barrels. Add some mix that I got from somewhere and I don't know what's going on with it and I'm going to set it and forget it. Yep. Right there. Oh yeah. And it's and not, sometimes it's it not works. that simple. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it's works. brilliant. Sometimes yeah. it's just the wow. best sour beer ever made. Uh, but at other times, you know, it's like, you know, why don't you just make one gallon of great sour beer first? Just well, prove a proof of concept. You know, if you're, if you're going to start a new business, you're trying to, or get a new investor or something, you're trying to prove that people actually like this or that this works. So well, why, why would not you, do that? Why would you approach it any differently than making, the, let's say, your flagship beer? Sure. Like your flagship beer, you're putting every bit of detail into every bit of thought. You, you have an idea of what that end result's going to be. And to think that the sour beer is some kind of, like, maybe accident. Right. That we'll just see what happens. You know, like, again, like, you're going to see what happens, which is nothing. You know, yeah. you're not, it's not going to, you're not going to like it, you know, and you're more importantly, your customers aren't going to like it. And that's what we're trying to do on the show is just, you know, maybe we're rambling sometimes, maybe we're given, given uh, different opinions, maybe even contradictory opinions, depending on the guest, you know, you can do it a bunch of different ways, yes. but just think about it before yes. you do it. Be uh, deliberate. So hopefully you're listening to the show and just, you know, not even taking this as gospel. I think you might've said that before, but you know, it's just yeah. like, just think about it, you know, there do, is do no what's right for way. you. Right. If I tried to do, you know, your playbook, play by play, it wouldn't work. You no, and if totally I tried to do what you were doing, I'd be having to admit that I am not all that bright. <laughs> so, well, I know that's not true. Yeah. Did you enter your beer at GBF? No, we don't enter competitions. Okay. Um, I'd be happy to talk about that if you guys want to. About yeah, philosophy why not? about that. Sure. Now everyone's uh, curious. Yeah. Right. Um, I'm extremely competitive as a person, um, and you so, want to go. I, I really do want to go, Jay. Yes. I'm having to restrain myself. That's the point, right? Um, and I get jealous 
I mean, honestly, I get jealous. I was jealous, Jay, of you winning both gold medals at World Beer Cup and at GABF. You're my friend. Your beer is wonderful. And I want a fucking piece of that. But I know you for have me. it. I can. Oh, uh, I, yeah. I'm going to get a piece. I, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, no. I meant, you know, your beers are world class. Yeah, but the problem is here with me, and I think you're a, um, you know, we're different people. And in, in, in your case, like for me, if I didn't do well in competition, I would think that I suck. If I did well in competition, I would think I was great. And those are not, those are just as when I'm running a business and trying to have a brewery, those are not things that I want to be having to play. It's just knowing myself personally. Yeah. I know, want the competition. I want, I mean, of course I want that. I love it. It's fun. And I did a lot of competing as a home brewer, a lot. That being said, uh, just so you know, I never made it second round of the national. Really? Yep, never made it second round. I got a 42 and didn't make it to the second. In, in what category? Uh, Belgian specialty. Yeah, 16E was always yeah, 16E was always my category. Totally. Yeah. I'm very competitive. I think we all are in this room. And you tell me if you... You uh, want to go, Scott? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's going to be some going. In the words of uh, the uh, great Bob Barker, I don't want a piece of you. I want the whole thing. Let's go. Uh, I, I hate losing, Tim, yeah. way more than I like winning. Mm. Way more. And so, I don't yeah. know if you do you relate to that. Uh, I love to win. Um, I mean, you know, we're going to go into like some child psychology stuff here. But yeah. my parents, um, I was very heavily rewarded when I brought home a medal or like you know Tim did really well at school today, kind of shit, like at a star. And I, they would really recognize that, and that was one of the ways I got my attention. I didn't get any attention otherwise. So we can we can delve into all that. I'll put <laughs> I'll kick my feet up and we can talk about it because I've done that. But, do you love your mother, Tim? That's an interesting question. <laughs> I do love my mother. Yeah. All right, here's another interesting question. I, we have a ton of uh, questions from the email. You guys can email me, scott at thebrewingnetwork.com, with any questions you have. And we, we have a big backlog, and forgive me, guys, because I'm giving uh, precedence to the, the callers here. So we're just going to have to do a, a show, Jay, these, one of these days where we just, just burn through a lot of these questions. But yeah. while we have Tim in the studio, uh, since he was such a successful home brewer, uh, I would like to get through at least a few. 42. I mean, come on. I mean, that's Can't good stuff, argued. Tim. Yeah. It didn't make it to the second round. Well, that's, well, judges that's, that's all politics. Yeah. No, it's, but no here's, here's, here's what it really demonstrates, right? Is that, I mean, I was doing that while I was living in Oakland and the greater Bay Area. What it demonstrates is what an incredibly talented group of homebrewers are in this region. Oh, I'm yeah. not going to say it's any better than any other region. But I knew, um, people say, well, wh- how did you know you were ready to go pro? It's like, well, fuck, man, I was competing against Nathan Smith and, you know, like he might get gold, but I'd get silver and that's pretty good. You know, and yeah, same thing with absolutely. Mike McDowell. And, and it's like these guys are incredible brewers. And so um, in many ways, some of the – well, I've told you this. My favorite my favorite beers have been – my favorite beer is a homebrew. I, I remember it distinctly. We talked about it. Albies. Justin Crossley. Pale, wait, what? Oh, yeah. Well, I, that's my second favorite <laughs> beer. But my favorite beer is Albies Goose. Yeah. Yeah, that you guys ended up brewing over at the brewery. Yeah, I was working at the brewery, and uh, we had our homebrew competition for our 50th batch, and uh, Al Buck, who started East Coast Yeast, entered a goose, and it won the competition, so we got to brew it. That was, you so know, good. the first, one of the one of the first five sour beers I had ever made as a professional, and I got to do the, uh, you know, decoction mash, and it was like, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> <laughs> it was like pushing molasses up a sandy hill kind of thing and it was just awful but the beer at the end turned out great but yeah that was one of the best home brews i've ever had yeah 
Anyway, long, long uh, segue Sorry. to this. Uh, oh yeah, no problem. Yeah, well, now you guys, now you guys know why we never get the questions on this show from the email. All right, here, this one's from uh, from Todd Bearden. He says, uh, "Can you guys talk about harvesting yeast dregs from commercial beer bottles?" He said, uh, "You guys talked about it on the first episode, maybe a little bit since, but uh, never got into detail on how to do it. How many bottles do you need to harvest from for a typical starter? Things like that." Thank you. Love the show. Okay. So Tim and I are having a little uh, back and forth. Of <laughs> Both of us should probably weigh in on who's this. Who's better to answer this? You know, right. as, a, as a pro brewer, I've done this less than five times where I'm taking bottle dregs out. But I, I'm going to take a little different tack to it than I see mostly, uh, which is, you know, you do need to still use a sterile technique. You know, it's great if you can dip the bottle in sanitizer, if you can uh, dip your... Uh, cap opener and sanitizer um once you open it uh if you can you know spray the top with some alcohol and and i should preface this what i'm about to say this this is dangerous so you know make sure you know what you're doing when you try something like this but when the when the top has some alcohol on it you should flame it which basically means lighting it on fire and that kills everything on the top on the glass surface um once that goes out uh you can pour it what (laughs) What is officially called decanting off the liquid on top, which basically means pour yourself a beer. So you pour off the beer on top, and then you uh, swirl around the bottom of the the bottle and uh, pour it into a flask, and you keep that to eventually add some starter wort to. Um, What I like to do, which is the little bit different part, is I like to take a little bit more of the beer with me than just, oh, I'm going to pour out all the beer to like the last centimeter and then swirl it up. I think there's some still working viable yeast in suspension in a lot of beers, even when it's cooled down, unless it's cooled down for a really long period of time. And I like having those guys active too, because I think there's some mutation, there's some selectivity where I want the people who are still floating around, I want those people to carry over to my next beer. So I do that, and then uh, you know, I, 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 we're not, we don't have a sophisticated enough lab to, you know, plate out this yeast versus this yeast versus this yeast versus this bacteria. We're not at that point yet. I'd love to get there, um, but so we just grow up the mixed culture, and we usually do that at like a one to ten uh, inoculant to new wort ratio. So, you know, I'm going to put in, uh, you know, 100 milliliters of uh, inoculant, in this case, the bottom of a bottle, and then top it off in a in a two-liter Erlenmeyer, but only one liter, just, just up to one liter with wort. Leave a little room for, uh, for re-fermentation. You know, once I have that one liter, I can put it into a 10-liter, which is probably suitable for, what, a three-gallon uh, carboy, something like that. And then, you know, you can just be off and run into whatever you need to go to. Just 1 to 10, you know, wait till it's done, taste it, test the pH, test the gravity if you can do it without wasting too much. One hard thing is it's hard to measure the attenuation of a mixed culture or a yeast when you're in one liter. Because pouring off enough for an uh, hydrometer jar, uh, you know, that's like a lot of beer from your inoculation. So you want to... You want to keep a lot of that. So mostly go by taste at first, I would say, but then, uh, you know, you can just move it up at a, at a 1 to 10 ratio. What do you think, Tim? I mean, uh, technique-wise, I would agree with virtually everything that you're saying. Um, uh, I, I think the one – I think what it point to me, it's not about how to, like – it's more like the, the interesting question to me is how much, how much yeast should I add? And, you know, like, do we stress out 
the you know, does does these beers uh, benefit from being stressed out, or they benefit from having lots of yeast? And everybody, you know, just like anything else, you ask you know three homebrewers the same question, you'll get three different answers. My answer is I always want more yeast. You know, I want it right. to be a gluttonous party. Um, that coat that is totally different than let's say Vinny, who makes arguably some of the world's best sour beers, and he wants. He, he, well, as I understand it, I don't know him very well, mm-hmm. if at all. Um, but as I understand it, he he wants that stress, and there's something that comes special from that from him. I don't want that. I want mine to be fat and lazy, you know, like, you know, whatever. For sure. And, you know, the, the process I was describing kind of goes back to a primary yeast uh, propagation. So, you know, that's, that's describing I'm going to grow up this mixed culture to be a primary fermenter. Yes. Now, if we're talking about stress— Stress doesn't occur in a primary fermentation. Even if you're depriving a primary fermentation of oxygen and underpitching, they have access to every type of sugar they could possibly get. You yes. know, it's totally different from if you're doing a Saccharomyces fermentation, it's depleting certain types of sugar. And then when you add your mixed culture in a secondary environment, you know, it, it's, it's got limited resources when it comes to... Uh, oxygen. It's got limited resources when it comes to type of sugar. It's competing against the existing yeast. It's competing against alcohol. So there's all sorts of variables there. It just depends what you want. If you want more of that Brett character, you know, I'd go ahead and add it in a in a post Saccharomyces way. Um, if you want, you know, more guaranteed tartness, especially if you're just starting your sour culture, I do it as 100% fermentation. Just you know, on a small scale, just go in a gallon and use mixed cultures from a bottle drag. You know, if you can't make, I mean, I've said it before, if you can't make one gallon taste good, why make more than that? Sure. You know, or one liter, you know, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And that's that we, that's how I rely on my start on, on my cultures is taste totally. And by my own impression. For sure. The uh, first part of Todd's email um, says that he has an Amazon tip for everybody that he wanted to pass along, and this is a good opportunity to uh, tell everybody that if you would like to support the Brewing Network, a great way to do it is by clicking the Amazon link on our homepage and doing all of your shopping there as normal. Uh, A little percentage of it goes to us, courtesy of the fine folks at Amazon. Uh, Todd says, instead of going to your website each time and clicking on the Amazon link, I just copied that address, and I use that for my Amazon bookmark. So anytime I click on that uh, to go to Amazon and shop, it uses your link, and I can support the BN. I spent thousands of dollars on Amazon over the past year, and I hope that it helps because I love what you guys do, and I've learned a lot from all the BN shows. Todd, it does help, and anybody else out there that wants to help, that is a great way to do it. Um, and that allows me also to launch into this brief bit about other shows on the Brewing Network, which if you like this show, you will definitely love Dr. Homebrew and Brewing with Style and Brew Strong and, of course, the uh, flagship show, The Session, on Monday nights. All of the shows are, are their own animal, and uh, they will be great for your beer-listening pleasure uh, if you like this show. What was the last show? What did I say? The, the Session? This, the, this, is Does it about Session wrong? Beer? Or? Uh I don't I know, I've never heard. I've never heard the program. Yeah, I think so. I kind of tune out when I'm in the studio most okay. of the time. You know, I'm just here for a paycheck, basically. I'm, I'm just mailing it in. Yeah, you've checked out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's what I want to do. I want to ask one more question from the email, and I, while you guys are answering it, I'm going to pour us some of uh, the yeast geek uh, send us some uh, homebrewed lambic. Uh, And one of our, it's it's been sitting in our walk-in actually, and one of our staff members accidentally opened it, uh, accidentally in quotes, uh, and uh, (laughs) he said it was really, really excellent. So I'm excited to try it, and we got we're going to get him on the line uh, while we do it. So while you guys are answering. Andrew Siliski's questions. Forgive me if I'm mispronouncing that, but he says I have a few questions about sour techniques. Uh, The first one is: Should I age in a carboy with oak cubes or 
age in a barrel? Well, I you know I'll give my as an unexperienced home brewer I'll give my opinion on this from a pro brewer's perspective. Uh, I would definitely do the carboy with oak cubes because if you want a slight oak flavor, you know the cubes are a great way to go. I don't I'm not sure how many to add in like a five gallon barrel. I'm sure you could look that up online, but I think for a home brewer on a small scale, a lot of home brewers get. Uh, we were just talking to someone earlier who had a 15 gallon barrel who was asking about the saison solera. Yes. And, you know, I, I'm i a little uncomfortable with a 15-gallon barrel because I think it's just too much barrel contact with the beer. It's a lot of oxygen. It's a lot of oak flavor. You're probably buying it new. It's not like there's a great market for used 15 to 30-gallon oak barrels. So right. um, I'm, I'm a big fan of glass carboys. You know, a little oxygen will get in through the top depending on your closure. But... You know, the oak cubes is going to give you your oak flavor. It's also a great way to carry over yeast and bacteria from batch to batch. You know, not only will they live deep inside of the oak, they'll eat the sugars that the oak provides, but also it's a great place for yeast to settle on, just like the bottom of a carboid surface in there. And, you know, that'll be a, if you can just take the cubes out and put them into the next batch, it's a great way to uh, inoculate your next, your next batch. Yeah, uh, I, I, that's what I would use the cubes for, um, and and I would agree. I mean, if you can get a barrel, do a barrel, man. That's that's your that's your best bet. Uh, and I barrels agree. are sexy. They are sexy, and they and and like Jay says, you know, I mean, a fifteen gallon barrel or one of those five gallon barrels, you know, put that beer in it, and then the next day take it out. <laughs> that's about what that's about what you're going to need that kind of contact time. So, but the chips themselves or the the the, the cubes. In my opinion, are inoculators. That's why you would do that. that you're, that, um, you know. So, anyway, I'm not. I'm not crazy about wood character, even though I do a lot of aging in wood. Sure. That, a, I, there's there's subtle nuances that I want from that, and they're not the taste of wood. You have to separate vessel from flavor. Right. And they're two different things. Right. You know. That's right. It's a wonderful vessel for making beer. Sure. I make, mean, it, and if you want more flavor, just add a spiral or something sure. or cubes. Sure. All right, there were other questions on uh, Andrew's email, but uh, yeah, again, forgive me, Andrew. I'm going to uh, move on, and we'll, we'll get we'll do a uh, a Q and A Q&A show, Jay. I think it's, for sure. I think we're due for one. Uh, but in the meantime, we have the brewer of the beer that is in front of us on the line, Yeast Geek. How's it going? Hey, 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 Mister Geek, how are you? I'm doing good. Where are you at? Uh, Portland, Oregon. Portland. All right. Uh, so we have poured uh, the first beer. Uh, describe it for us. First beer, basically the polar barrel. Uh, with uh, Solar style. Uh, it's a gallon barrel from Woodenville Whiskey that had a couple beers in it before it. Um, and the recipe is basically uh, 30% Pilsner, 30% Golden Promise, uh, 30% White Wheat, and 10% Midnight Wheat. And to ferment it, I used uh, USO5 and some dregs from a bunch of uh, uh, sour beers that we had a little tasting at my house with. So a little Cantillon, a little Almanac, uh, Cascade, Anchorage, uh, quite, a, quite a bit of stuff in there. Nice. And how, how did you treat the dregs over time? You know, you're obviously you're tasting these beers and, you know, you take the bottom of the bottle and then you're pouring them into what kind of container? Are you adding any wort or beer to it over time? Um, I basically just took uh, for that, uh, for this barrel, I took a Erlenmeyer flask with uh, just some sterile wort. I did some uh, some canning. So I took some sterile wort, put it in the uh, Erlenmeyer flask and then dumped all the dregs in there. Uh, let it go to town for a couple of weeks, and then uh, when I was ready to rack the beer into the barrel, I, I pitched the dregs at the same time. 
Awesome. I think that's pretty good technique. That'll work. So are we doing, are we doing some tasting notes right now? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Some feedback? Yeah. What do you think, Tim? Uh, I think it's, uh, it, you know, what I like about it is that uh, it belies the color, right? It belies this color. And I, what I like about it, it's really very approachable. It's a great level of sourness. It's not overly done. Uh, no acetic. It's it's pretty damn good, man. Good work. Dark dark sours are dark sours are a trip, and you've done a really good job with it. So I like it. And let's also not be afraid to uh, to troubleshoot too. This is really an excellent beer, but I, I don't want to shy away from from even nitpicking the smallest thing because the the goal of this show, really, as I've stated in the past, is to uh, get as close to uh, you know commercial quality sour beer as possible as a home brewer. So even if you are detecting slight problems, feel free to nitpick and uh, yeast geek. Uh, you know, make a mark on the feelings calendar if you have to. Well, I'm an extremely <laughs> encouraging. Uh, I mean, I've worked in the home brew industry for a long time. I think it's. I, I will tell you the truth. That's not a problem. Right. But ultimately, at the end of the day. I want to tell you whether I like it or not, whether I want another sip and whether I want more. And I, w- I would want more of this. So that's just, that's the, to me, that's the best thing I can tell you. Yeah. It's like, do you want another sip? Do you want, do you want another glass? Yeah. This is the two things I evaluated beer by. And, you know, I'll just go ahead and kill the suspense. I say yes and yes. Yeah. Um, when I first smelled the beer, I had a little concern that, and I'm, I have to preface this with saying, uh, I feel like I'm oversensitive to diacetyl sometimes. Um, you know, I'm, I've said this before on the show, but you know, I'm really bad at other uh, off flavor pickups. Um, but diacetyl, I think I can dig out of places where not a lot of people find it. Now, this, it was like, man, I don't know if I get strictly diastole in this. But then once you said it was in a whiskey barrel, I was like, okay, yeah. that that makes total sense Vanilla. because. We were just talking. I was talking with uh, my co-founder Alex. Uh, it was either earlier today or the day before. We have a sour beer in uh, bourbon and whiskey barrels, um, and it's like, yeah, is there a diastole in this? We had this little discussion of like, you know, no, I don't think it's like that because it's like kind of the character of the barrel. It's got this caramelization of wood almost in the char. Um, but you know it's it's on such a low level that it's it's really nice and so once i understood that i was in a whiskey barrel i was like okay that that makes total sense now i agree with tim the acidity is right on point um i'm i'm surprised at the color from 10% midnight wheat i don't know midnight wheat that well but um it seems like a a pretty nice dark like a nice almost oud brune level color to it uh from that midnight wheat but it seems like a a great recipe and uh yeah, I mean, I really also like the way you treated the dregs over time. So it's it's a it's a job well done, and I'm glad that you know we could have you on, and you know you're explaining this so people will know, you know, hey, you know, sour beer by a home brewer can be done not only well but very well. I Extremely mean, well. Perhaps. It, it, there are more challenges for home brewers than pro brewers when it comes to sour beer because it's such a such an expensive process. But uh, this is this is very well done, East Geek. Thank you. Good job, Yeast Geek. No, I just uh, was interesting. Is this uh, you mentioned diacetyl? This first one, when I bottled it, um, went through a sick phase like as soon as it, it got bottled. Um, so, like the first couple bottles that I opened were just sludge. Um, so, I was wondering if maybe that might be what you're detecting. Or do you have any more of those it's, bottles it's, when you send me one? I want, <laughs> I want to see it. It's it's less of a mouth. So, when I think of sick, I think of mouthfeel because it's uh, you know more of like a a slick mouthfeel with the complex carbohydrates that are formed during the sickness phase. Um, but 
with diastole, I think it's a totally different thing. Um, when it comes to that, it's such a, to me, such a distinct compound. And like I said, it's not like I get, you know, I'm an expert taster and I can get all these other things. Well, it's just this one thing that I like really pick out. And this was somewhat similar, but not from the mouthfeel. I think it's more from like this caramelization kind of whiskey flavor where it's like, it's, 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 it's to me, the fact that you said it was the barrel just completely reconciled it in my mind. Me too. And that, that's uh, it, that, what I like. What I thought about it was, oh, it's it's a whiskey barrel. All those vanillins to me, which are really mm. easy. That The combination of that with some dark malt, I can see where that could be uh, perceived as buttery. All right. So I think uh, Scotch Asportus, uh, beer number two, Yeast Geek, what, can you tell us a little bit about this one? Yeah. So basically what I did for the second one is I um, – uh, I, just like the first one, what I did is I took out three gallons of um, from beer and bottled basically a case of bottles for the first one, and then I replaced it with a, a much lighter beer. Um, I, this was kind of one of my first sour projects, so what I wanted from sour beer I didn't really know at the time, um, and I kind of wanted a uh, you know a lighter, more mellow beer. This thing's almost eight uh, percent, the first one. Um, so what I replaced it with was. Basically, uh, one pound of wheat DME per one gallon of water uh, for four gallons, and then just fermented out, out with USO5 and then refilled the barrel with that. Uh, left it in there for another six months and then pulled it out, and this is the number two. DME? Yep, just used a uh, dry malt extract. Interesting. So I, I do perceive uh, There's di- a lot of diacetyl, diacetyl in the yeah. second one, yeah. The first one is, is like, it's like 1%. It's there, but it's yeah. barely perceptible. Very enjoyable beer. I get it pronounced, especially once you swallow it on the second beer. Yeah, it takes a little while for it to kick in, but it's definitely there. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I, so I actually don't get diacetyl in this, but I do get, and this is, this is not going to be helpful at all, but it's the <laughs> only way I can describe it from, from my old job, uh, my old boss, Tyler King, from the brewery, uh, you know, homebrewers would bring their beers in, and there's just this thing where it's like he just said, "You know what? I I don't know, but this just tastes like homebrew to me." And there's this off flavor that I've never been able to put my finger on, where it's just not as vigorous of a fermentation, you know, not as much yeast, not as much oxygen, whatever it is. The difference between a professional beer and a homebrew beer. The, the common difference, I would say, I get that in this a little bit, but I did not get it all in the first one. Yeah. The first one was, if that was a commercial beer, I'd be like, I'm I'm happy I bought this. This one, and it's not even pronounced in this one, it's just like, it's, it's seconds later after it just lingers on my tongue right. where it's something that lingers. But to me, it's not diastole, but it may, you know. How, how old is this beer in the bottle? Um, number two has been in the bottle for about a month. Um, yeah. it was in the barrel for six months, been yeah. bottled for about a month. That's it. Number one has been bottled for okay. about seven months. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah, too. That's, that's it. Yeah. I would really? point to that hundred percent. No, that's it. Yeah. It, it should, it, it like, if we, it'll drink, be fine. Yeah. We, we have this oh, another month, young. two months. Yes, okay. Too young. Okay. Yeah, that's that's very young. Fine. Yeah. I mean, if we're, for the, I mean, wait, did we get that right the overall. Though? Didn't you say that number two was all DME, the first sour beer you had made? No, number two was the second one. Number one was the the first three gallons I pulled from the barrel. All of this was his number first Number two was the second three gallons of sour okay. beer making. Okay, I understand now. Is that right? All all of this is your first foray into sour beer making? 
Um, this was my first project I've yep. done, you know, in that year that this has been going on. I've done a lot of stuff since then. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, if we're having issues with the beer in other ways, maybe those things can't be fixed. But if we're talking purely about diacetyl, which you and I are smart to identify in Jay. Yeah, what's going on? Not then? so much. <laughs> but let's say that it is really there because it is. It's there. Um, it, it, I think, it, it, I think it's um, – I want you to taste this beer now, and then I want you to come back to it in a month from now, and I yeah. want you to come back to it in two months from now. Save the, that many bottles for, so you can do that, so you can see what will change, and that that will go away. Yeah, especially and, the part that they're misidentifying as diastole. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So is there just enough uh, – I'm sorry, did you say you – are you bottle conditioning this? Did you say you pitched into the bottle? Yeah. It has to be. You, okay, so – right. So then the time will it, – it, the yeast will just do its job over time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I mean that—that's really the. If I can dial in, I'm, I'm just kind of echoing uh, what what you were saying, Jay. Which is, I, I do notice a through line, like with Roberto's beers from a couple of months ago, from uh, beers we've had at Winter Brews Fest at, at Tasty's Tasting Room, right. and and homebrewed sour beers that I've had. I've had very good examples. I've had a lot of not very good examples, but there just is sort of a a, a gap that I've never really I've never really had. That really bright, flawless mm-hmm. sour beer from a home brewer, like the West Ashley, is flawless. Like it, it does not matter how hard you try, you you are not going to find anything uh, to complain about about bullshit. that beer. No, it's, it's true. <laughs> I don't care what you say; it's true. I'm an objective source, and I and I'm on the radio, and I say it so. But I I want to. That's what I want this show to well, do. Hey, I want to. I, I want to narrow get rid of that gap. And I, and I'm how, totally down with that. Know? I mean, for, but I gotta say, Yeast Geek's first beer. It's was like was, yeah, like, was, was yeah. like that for me. Yeah. That, that's that's golden. That's fine. That's a, that's a commercial level beer, and it's a lot better than a lot of commercial beers. Yeah, that's it's a definitely lot better than true. a lot of the beers out there. It, yeah. it is, and of course, I'm I'm using as my commercial examples for sours the basically the best sour beers in the world. We are spoiled, like you know, Map of we the were, Sun <laughs> and and West Ashley and Cantillon Fufun. If you're those are the apricot sour beers that are that you will not find on another planet. But they're ten feet away from us. <laughs> but I know, and I, we're just so damn spoiled, man. So. You Speak. I mean, I'm talking. Your beer is 98. Yeah, we're, there. we're really it's nit- fantastic. We're nitpicking, and yeah. it is better than most commercial sour beer. It is more. More importantly, I mean, not to not to uh, belabor the point, but again, use this as a. Uh, here's the here's the learning to me is it's about the fermentation. Jay talked about that earlier. It's about fermentation. Fermentation is that's the sexy part. That's the great part. That's the fun part. And this this bottle, watch it, taste it, and you'll see it change. Cool. Is there is there one more beer you sent us, Yeast Geek? Um, I think you just sent two bottles nope. of each of those. Yeah. Um, oh, there we go. Two. Oh, okay. I have some stuff that I, I'd love to send you in the future, but it's not anywhere near ready yet. I have, Why a, not? I have an interesting question yeah. for Yeast Geek. You called this a Lambic. Not, I, I, I don't know. I guess it depends on who you, who you ask. I mean, there's a, quite you. a bit of different, uh, you know, flora in there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if you look at the definition of Lambic, probably not, but it's the same thing, really. I mean, you're using... Hmm. You know the same bacteria and yeast. So to me, what's the difference? You know. Uh, okay. All right, mate, I'll Tim, you feel. You I, have I, some I feel. I feel a rant coming on. I'm so. going to give a rant, and it's not. It's not about you, yeast geek, because clearly we're very close. Um, it's really about presentation, um, and um, this is just two cents. Why not? Why, I'm just going to go and do this. Um, you know, it's kind of like well, I get a lot of beers from homebrewers, and they're always telling me what's. They give it to me, and they as they're handing it to me, it's what's wrong with this, or what can I do different, as opposed to just give it to me and let me taste it, and I'll let you know 
if I like it or not, then we can delve into it. But it's about presentation. So my issue with it being called a lambic, had you called this an old brune or old brune, or more importantly, uh, maybe some kind of a Flanders red, I probably you I would have been less critical from even as soon as it was poured. Scott was pouring it. I was like, it's not a lambic. So it's just two cents about presentation when you do decide to go pro because you will. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it'll happen. That's yeah. my two cents. Appreciate it. Make sure when you do yeast geek that you use the Brewers Association's guide to starting your own brewery. There you go. Mm. Written by Dick, Dick Antwell, who Dick I Antwell. was too afraid to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Anything else for these guys, uh, uh, yeast geek? Before I wrap up our, our show because we're way over time as usual. Um. Yeah. Just two quick things. One. Um. You know, if anybody wants to see what else I'm doing with uh, beer, they can follow me on Instagram at yeast geek. Um, and then I would love to see you guys get uh, Trevor from uh, Degard on. That'd be awesome. Ooh, I just had some Trevor. Degard beers. Uh, Do you know Trevor? No, I don't know Trevor. I don't know any of the guys from Degard, but he's a really great guy. The beers were really good. Fantastic. Really, like, yeah. And, I want, he's doing I, some, I, and he's doing some weird shit. So. I do want to talk to them for sure. Okay, for sure. We'll keep it in mind. Hey, thanks for sending these beers out to us. You can let me know when you got those other ones ready for us. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Yep. Later. Awesome. Woo! Sour hour and a half. Oh. Yeah, we're, uh, that's how we roll, right? Yeah. So it's been a long night. The weather has not set in, thankfully, so there's easily time for another beer. Yeah. But I got to thank our guest tonight, Tim Clifford. Tim, I had a great so time. Thanks so much for coming here, man. Thank thanks you for bringing those Co beers. Co owner, head nice. brewer, Santa Adair's Rustic Ales. Thank you for having me. There's some people outside drinking some beers, they look like they're happy. We should join them soon. Those are some good-looking people, by the way. Yeah, you guys roll with with beautiful women. Yeah, we got beautiful you. beautiful people hanging yeah. around the rare barrel and sauteed no I don't kidding. know what it is. Yeah, at this at this industry used to be a, a sausage fest, and now yeah. there's a lot of good-looking women. Yes, chicks dig sour beer and yeah, they do. good beer. This is a fact. So hopefully you keep listening to this show. You'll get the chicks too. <laughs> <laughs> this has been the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. Network.